Welcome back to the podcast, Unbinding the Bible. This is episode 117, Revelation, Resurrection Life. And the following is a sermon that I preached just several weeks ago at our church. And as many of you know, this is in fact the Easter season of the year where we not only celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for our lives now, but ultimately how Jesus's resurrection, which everyone assumed would happen at the end of time, the fact that it happened in the middle of time, for us um, even now past time, means that God intends for the two of those to be joined together. And so much of the view that we get from John in Revelation chapter um, 21 and 22 is intended to highlight for us where redemption is headed, what the kingdom of God is intended to um, to manifest across the earth. And so as Jesus meets with his disciples in the upper room and brings his peace to them to calm their nerves, he also shows them the scars in his hands and in his feet. And I found through studying this passage several weeks ago, a profound insight regarding what we do with the wounds that we receive in this life and what we do hope they will become for us and in us and through us in the life to come. And so I found the message encouraging. Several members of our church did as well. And I thought since we were looking at these last several chapters of Revelation, that this sermon might fit that well. And so I really hope that you're just encouraged by by this episode this week. Um, it's just the sermon. Uh, it's not very long, but I do think it will give you plenty to think about and ways of resting in the goodness of God and what he intends to do in and through your life, no matter what you have experienced. And so I offer to you the sermon, Resurrection Life. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is the gospel of the Lord. Jesus, this morning we gather in your presence as your people, as your followers, desiring to be taught by you, led by you, convicted by you. So teach us, lead us, and convict us this morning, we pray in your name. Amen. You may be seated. 
You know, it's fascinating passages like the one we just looked at, which um, we're about to begin to look at over the next several weeks, these post-resurrection appearances of the person of Jesus. And I say that they're fascinating because they actually have quite a bit to teach us about life as it is defined according to the resurrection. And so this morning's message is just titled, Resurrection Life. And what I love about looking at Jesus in his post-resurrection appearances as Jesus in these passages is not just here to give you and I some doctrinal understanding of what good Christians are supposed to believe about the resurrection. Instead, if we step into the lives of the disciples and maybe even their own mindsets and we allow what they experienced in the presence of Jesus to impact us, it has the potential to radically shape and reshape the way we think about our own lives and about the world. And so the very first thing that I want to look at is the fact that resurrection life, if you really take the time to think about it, is just new life. Or, in words that are familiar to us, it is life after death. Now, sadly, in the church, most people, generally speaking, when you say the words life after death, almost always think about the end, the future, heaven. But right here in this passage, we are given a short glimpse about what life after death actually looks like. And in the same way the person of Jesus is meant to transform our lives today, the person of Jesus is also meant to transform what we think about that day. And what the New Testament does over and over and over, and for some reason is very, very difficult to get into the minds of people, is that in the person of Jesus, he's bringing together what we imagine the end will be, and he's bringing it into the present day reality. And so Jesus meets with his disciples and he's going to challenge a view that they have, which I would like to argue many of us hold too. And that is if you and I encounter someone that we have witnessed dying, we don't suspect we would see them again in physical form on the earth. We just don't. In fact, according to the passage that Jesus has here, when the disciples see Jesus, they think that he is a ghost. Why? Because many people tend to believe that what happens after death is that you become some disembodied spirit. We're comfortable with that. We can imagine a spirit floating around post-death. What we can't imagine is a physical person coming back and eating fish in our presence. But what this is doing for you and for me is it's showing us what resurrection life what life after death actually is, and it is something physical every bit as it is something spiritual. And yet the tendency for you and for me is to imagine that it is almost only immaterial. I mean, I don't know what you grew up hearing or believing or thinking or imagining about what heaven was going to be, but there's all sorts of strange ideas floating around, one of which is that we will be floating around. Not true. I don't know where that comes from. It leaks in from somewhere, but it's not found in Jesus. Why? Because Jesus here with his disciples is the picture of what humanity will be like after death. Jesus is the first fruits. We are to follow. And so in heaven, quote unquote, we are not going to be disembodied spirits. 
Right here, again, this is what the disciples think has happened to Jesus. This is the only category they have to operate in. In their view, once someone has died, the only way you could ever encounter them again would be to see them as a ghost. And you can watch movies today, you can read books, we have fantasy novels, you name it. It's pretty common. This is a very popular view. It's just unbiblical. Jesus comes to his disciples in a body. Now, for those who that comes across as somewhat startling or, you know, an interruption into your life, we'll join the disciples, right? We're told several things about them. It says that they are startled, they are frightened, they are troubled. It leads to doubts in their minds. In times like these, people tend to see things that they imagine they are supposed to see and they don't actually interpret reality correctly. And I think the same thing is happening with the disciples, In the church, it's been my belief, and I try to give some kind of an assessment of what I think Christians in general believe, but the prevalent and popular view is that we are here on earth now, but one day we will be with Jesus in heaven, and it's an earth here, heaven there, earth now, heaven later, and it's that kind of an idea. It's a separation. If somebody talks to a Christian about eternal life, many Christians tend to think all that means is life after death, right? And we imagine it's life that goes on forever, but think about what eternal means. Eternal means it has no beginning or any end. So Jesus bringing someone eternal life means that that life has already begun and it just will never end. It begins where? In the future? No, it begins in the present. Right now, there's new life to be gained And so oftentimes we think that heaven means somewhere else, a place different from the earth, a place where our spiritual selves will live, but our bodies won't happen to be there. And Jesus says, no. The idea for Christians is not that we are here now and we are going to heaven later. The picture that the Bible gives us is that heaven is where God dwells and God brings heaven to us. In fact, a stunning picture at the end of the Bible at the place where most of us are certain that we're going to go off to heaven, we see a picture in Revelation 21 of heaven coming down to the earth to remake the earth the way the earth once was in the Garden of Eden. So when God is at work, he brings his presence and his goodness down to us to dwell with us, to be with us, to meet with us, and to love us. When we are driving the ship, we resemble those in the Tower of Babel who take what we have here and try to go up to him. That's not the direction. And it's not the direction Jesus is encouraging his disciples with. Instead, he says, I've come to you. And who is Jesus coming back? He's coming back again in physical form to meet his disciples and to offer them peace. They freak out as most of you would, as I certainly would. If you like horror movies, you know, my boys are really into scary movies and it's the scarier the better, right? Well, that's kind of what's happening here. And most of us, when we flip off the TV at the end of that movie, are certainly glad that that horror story is not real. But Jesus doesn't encourage his disciples to run away from being freaked out. What does he do? He says, guys, it's really me. I'm not a ghost. Do ghosts have flesh and bones like you see that I have? 
And then there's this strange little scene. Does anybody have any fish? I mean, it's, I love the way the Bible is just so you know, casual in the way that it talks. Like, I mean, why, why is Luke writing this for us? He's writing this for us. Why? Because ghosts don't eat fish. You ever seen the movie, The Pirates of the Caribbean? I mean, there's a million of them now, but the very first one, when Barbosa's on the ship and he steps out into the moonlight and you finally realize for the first time in the film that he's been a ghost the whole time, he's not real, but in the moonlight, you see him, he's just a skeleton. And he grabs a bottle of wine, he pops the cork off and he drinks the wine and it just goes right through his empty skeleton and hits the ship deck because he's not a real person. Jesus, however, is real and he remains real after death. Now, why am I bringing all this to your attention? I'm bringing all this to your attention because what Jesus is about to do with his disciples is highly significant for you and for me. Believing that our physical bodies is something we might leave behind and go off to a better place that's totally different is not the only area of our lives where we get tripped up here. Because I want you to notice what Jesus does to calm the disciples down. Jesus points to not only his body, but to something very specific in his body for them to recognize him by. If you were paying attention, as I read, Jesus repeats it twice. He makes a reference to what he calls his hands and his feet. Why on earth? Let me back up. If you were going to have someone recognize you by certain parts of your body, how many of you would choose your hands and your feet? I think my feet are ugly. I like to keep shoes on them as often as I can, unless I'm around somebody that I really, really love and I know isn't going to judge me. But I would tend to want to be recognized by my face. I would want to be recognized by something else, you know, maybe my really great beard or something else. Not my hands and my feet. Well, what's Jesus doing? Well, it's obvious what he's doing. His hands and his feet were the place where nails were driven into the cross to put him to death. It's the place on his physical body where his wounds were. Now, I want you to track with me here. What are wounds? Well, wounds can be physical. We might have gotten in a car accident or broken our leg or broken our hip or something like that. It might have a wound from a surgery. But wounds might also be times or events or places or people in our lives that we have interacted with at various places where we experienced some type of mistreatment, a bad taste in our mouth from that relational incurrence. Maybe someone looked down upon us, hurt us, abused us. I would say most of the time, many of us wish that we could just leave all of those wounds in the past, forget about them, or we wish that they had never happened. Everybody has something like this. Most of us wish we could go back and erase those events entirely from our stories. And I would argue that I bet most people actually try living their lives in the present as if those things in the past were never a part of your life or don't have any impact on the present. But of course we can't do that. Your stories and my story are part of us. Those events in our past have shaped us and they will forever be part of who we are becoming. Right here, 
in this narrative in Luke 24, because of Jesus, we're given the freedom to admit that. We have the freedom not to be enslaved to the futile wish that if certain things had never happened, then we would be able to live richer, fuller life. How many of us have imagined that? I have thousands of times. But even Jesus himself in his post-resurrection state not only still bears the marks of his mistreatment, but listen to me. He specifically encourages his disciples to identify him by those marks. He doesn't give his disciples any other way to recognize him. He shows them his hands and his feet, the places where the nails were driven that connected him to the cross. Of course, you and I know he's gone through those wounds and the subsequent death that came as a result, but the scars are still there. The evidence of what he went through is still there. And that's all scars are. They are wounds that have been healed, but they never disappear. They stay with you. They become a vital part of who you are and of who you are becoming. How easy would it be for Jesus as God to have come from his place beside the Father to earth, to do the things that needed to be done, but then to move on to bigger and better things, to come after life after death, resurrection life, new life, and to leave all the garbage behind. But he doesn't. What Jesus received as a result of his love was abuse, mistreatment, rejection, and pain. And Jesus says, those signs most clearly demonstrate my love. Therefore, those marks will make it to life after death. You see, I find it rather hopeless when people imagine heaven to be a place where we will escape all of the things that have tormented us here. We're not looking for an escape. We're looking for Jesus to heal and to restore and to bring back the life that the enemy meant to steal from us which Jesus freely turns and gives right back. It's an invitation to say, okay, these wounds that I carry are not what I want to hold on to. This is why Jesus comes and says, these aren't your wounds to heal. I've come to heal you. And by my stripes, you're healed. To come to Jesus, to bring the difficulties to him, knowing that one day the Lord will wipe away every tear from every eye and there will be no more death, that implies that there is death now and that there are lots of reasons for tears. Okay. And for us to know that scars are going to be with us, we're not going to escape these things. We're not going to move beyond them forever. Jesus is going to take them. He's going to redeem them. He's going to heal them. And just like his scars, they may make a unique place in the life after death. Something that is too much to handle, that we can't imagine a world where that is part of it. I don't understand all of it, to be frank. But I do know that I have spent time, and I know others who have too, who wish that we had never, I had never interacted with a certain person in my past. 
or I wish that that relationship had never formed or gone the way that it did because it brought me nothing but pain. But we live in the real world. I don't know about you, but I found it pretty futile to try to change the past. I, I don't know how to do that. But Jesus does. He knows how to redeem the past and show us what wounds would look like brought to him that he can heal and have those scars be part of our story, but something that he can breathe new life into. And that's ultimately what he's doing with his disciples. He's taking the marks on his body, which in the Roman world were nothing but evidences of the most shameful embarrassment and humiliation imaginable. And he is now using those same marks in the resurrection life as a way of self-identifying to the disciples. That's transformative. And that deals an actual death blow to the kingdom of darkness. Because what does the kingdom of darkness want? It wants you and I to hide and be ashamed and be embarrassed and keep hidden things that we don't believe have a place in this world that wouldn't be approved of by other people around us. And Jesus says, bring all those things to me. Bring them to me. And watch the accusations from the enemy fall by the wayside when I take those very things, breathe new life into them, and restore back to you the dignity I created you with in the beginning. That's what resurrection life offers to us. And you want to know why the disciples, who in last Sunday's passage were afraid of the Jews hiding in an upper room, do you want to know why they become the disciples we see about them being in the book of Acts? It's because of this. They meet with Jesus and Jesus takes every fear and every anxiety and every concern and every shameful thing about them and he transforms it into new life and they realize, oh my goodness, nothing can stop the spread of the kingdom now. And then they learn why Jesus says, not even the gates of hell will be able to stop the spread of my kingdom. That's a hopeful message because Jesus is driving a ship now that I wanna be on but he's taking us somewhere and he wants to take all of us. So some of us might need to open wounds to him because we've tried for years to heal them ourselves and it doesn't work. How do you know if a wound has been properly healed by Jesus? You find the freedom to speak about it and to look at it openly and freely with others without fear of judgment because you know the one to whom we stand accountable has already dealt with us there. But I don't know, and I'm just gonna toss this out to you as we close, I don't know if the Holy Spirit is stirring anything in any of you right now or not. But if he is, and you want somebody to talk to about things you've never opened up to anybody before, and you want to invite Jesus in to heal wounds so that they can become scars filled with resurrection life, please come and talk to me or find a friend and talk to them and invite Jesus into places where we tend to want to pretend, I just want to leave those things behind. Jesus doesn't want us to be divided like that. He wants us to be united. All that happens to us, even those things that Satan means for evil, God turns into good things to bless us and to bless the world. And that's hopeful. Jesus, would you lead us, guide us, love us, and take care of us today? 
Thank you for what you teach us about life after death. And thank you so much that forever you are in a body bearing the marks of scorn and shame. I know that I need a reattunement to your ways to see brokenness and weakness and failure as things that you can redeem. And I would ask that you would continue to pour your spirit out on the people of this church so that they would find the safety and the freedom and the desire to want to pursue you more and to open themselves up more to your healing presence. Thank you for your care for your disciples. Thank you for your care for us. Lead us this day and every day. Amen.